This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. The track session you're about to hear today is about connecting culture to kingdom. And one aspect of discipleship that comes out in this five-episode series is that discipleship has different contexts. Bobby Harrington, point leader for Discipleship.org, has co-authored a book with Alex Absalom on this topic called Discipleship That Fits. Well, Discipleship.org has partnered with Zondervan to release this sampler as a free ebook. Understand discipleship in the major forms it can take in terms of the group size from our personal walk with Christ to the crowds. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. That's discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Today we're featuring an episode from Navigators Church Ministries and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Connecting Culture to Kingdom. The episode for today is called Connecting Culture to Kingdom Through Sports, featuring Tony Miltenberger. All right, if you guys are ready, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get started here. Let's go ahead and begin in prayer. How about that? It's always a good place to start. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space and place. Lord, we just ask that you uh, give us wisdom and deter- discernment as we do our very best to be obedient to your will or be with us as we dive into this important topic and uh, give us... Give us the courage to be light bearers in our, in our community, to show, uh, to show the people around us exactly who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was, uh, it was third and goal. I'm a football guy. It was third and goal, and uh, this is the, the championship game. Third and goal, we've already scored. We're in overtime at this point. My team's already scored. Our defense is on the field. Prior to overtime, it was 0-0. Our offense came in overtime, four power right veers to the right, and we score a touchdown, get the extra point, and we're up 7-6. to six. Third and goal, Northmont White, who's already beat us once this year, keep in mind. Under center is their best passing quarterback. He calls hike. He drops back. He rolls to the right. You can see the, the wide receiver. He makes a beeline for the corner. And all of a sudden, he, he steps back and he throws it. But our cornerback is right there. One of the best players on our team is right there. His name is Matt Cripps. Matt jumps up and he tips the ball. And we're like, yes, right into the hands of his wide receiver. Right? And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, the deflation of our team just goes to an all-time low, and, and Matt is now crying in the corner of the end zone. He's crying in the corner of the end zone. And one of our coaches walks over to him, and he grabs him by the, the face mask, as only a loving football coach can, right? And he says, Matt, we're still ahead. They have to score the extra point. Now, in our league, if you kick a ball because it's so hard to kick, you get two points. If you run a ball or pass a ball in, you get one point. Nobody ever kicks it at this grade level. And so, uh, so they line up. We line up. Man on man, we're watching. 
Uh, I'm on the sideline, offensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator's out there watching the players. And then their offense calls timeout. We all walk out in the field. We're sweating. It's, this was two weeks ago, and we're sweating. It's 30 degrees on the field. Right? And the boys are jumping up and down. The stands are going crazy. We line up again. We get ready. We see that it looks like they might pass again. So we call our timeout, right? We're trying to ice their quarterback. And, and then we set some things up. We move some things around. And then eventually he gets under center. He calls hike. And it's a toss sweep to the left. He sweeps it out. The man catches it. And here comes Bledsoe, comes in, makes the tackle. And we're Super Bowl champions. Third grade, Super Bowl chip. Listen, people went nuts. People went nuts. It was incredible. It was incredible. Third grade, Super Bowl champions. This is my team right here with our cheerleaders. You can see us here. Um, what was amazing about that moment is that uh, 21 boys uh, on the football team, I believe there were uh, just about 20 girls on the cheerleaders uh, five uh, coaches and uh, one common goal. One common goal, and we achieved it. We achieved it. It was an epic moment. But let me give you some scope of preparation, right? This is third grade football in middle to suburban America, right? Third grade football in middle to suburban America. Before we ever played our first game, 28 hours of practice, 28, because you have to get so many reps in, right? If, if you're a football coach, you know that you're not allowed to put pads on until you get so many reps. So the first two weeks, before we even really get into the rhythm, you've got to get all these practices in. So in three months, from the time we played our first game until the Super Bowl, I estimated just over 105 hours together as a team. In three months, 105 hours together as a team in three months. That's not even counting the extra film session we did for the Super Bowl, which the boys loved. That's not counting uh, the, the half day that we spent together at, at Caesars Creek, uh, playing in the water and doing family uh, activities. Now let me tell you what my social media feed looked like the next day. Between Instagram and Facebook, there's all these posts. It felt like hundreds of posts. And what were the hashtags? The hashtags were EPND, Elk Pride Never Dies. That's our team. We're the We Elks. Uh, the hashtags were third grade white all the way, Super Bowl champs. The hashtag that most intrigued me, though, is this one. Hashtag football is family. Football is family. Now, my name is Tony. And I pastor a church in this community. And what I would give to get the members of my church as motivated as this team to one common mission. What I wouldn't give for 104 hours of mandatory practice. What I wouldn't give to have people who don't know Christ, who never played football before, who've never been in the church before, come together so that we could teach them skills, give them traits, and teach them lessons in order to move them forward in the sake of the mission. The truth is, friends, that sports isn't going anywhere. And, and so often, the church is so anti-sport. But what I'd like to suggest to you today, what I hope 
I can prove to you today is that sports is really just another avenue for the gospel. And it's an avenue that if you're not taking advantage of, you're insane. Or look, look at some of these statistics. Uh, the, average, the average person, six-year-old, uh, is 60% of boys and 47% of girls are already on sports teams by the age of six. By the age of six. Now, this data comes from ESPN, the magazine. In urban areas, grades three to five, grades three to five, 59% of girls and 80% of boys. In suburban, same grade, 81% of girls, 89% of boys. And in rural, and this is interesting, I I really don't know what to do with that data, but 73% of girls and 69% of boys. That's grades three to five. And as you can see, as they get older, it evens out a little bit more, but grades six to eight, grades nine to 12, ladies and gentlemen, people are playing sports. And I I bet all of us have memories around sports, don't we? Uh, As a matter of fact, let's, I like, there's a small enough group. Let's, favorite sport team, favorite sport memory. Go, we're just gonna go right around the room. Here we go. Favorite sport team, favorite sport memory. Probably played on or that you like to watch or memory around sport. As high school going forward on fourth and 26 at your own five yard line. Right. Come on. That's a memory. That's a moment. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals game six, 2011 World Series. I hate you and you now have to leave. (laughs) Go Reds. Oh, man. No, that's fine. The Cardinals are they're horrible, but it's fine. Uh, Okay, keep going. Yeah, love it. Uh, ball. Come on. That's incredible. <laughs> no, it's a handicap. It's good. Shoot. Uh, high school football, 44 yard catch for a touchdown to win the only game we won that season. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, that's fine. Epic. Yeah. That's epic, yeah. right? That's epic. Let's go to the back. Come on. Uh, 89, 90, little league champ. Yeah. Uh, Sports Ambassadors, uh, 1974. Uh, we uh, toured Africa and uh, spread the gospel. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was the unofficial mascot of our football team that was horrible, but the orange and black tigers ruled in my mind. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Still wearing orange today. 2005, I coached, assistant coach on a basketball team for my daughter in high school. We made it to the region semifinals. One more, we would have gone state. Wow. That's awesome. Um, gosh, high school basketball, um, our team, we went state three years in a row. A little, little small school, but uh, that put our school on the map. Yeah. Justin, what about you? Probably high school baseball went further than any, any team in our high school's history. Yeah, that's awesome. Went in the Golden City basketball tournament that I played on my junior in high school, and they played We Are the Champions. The year the song came out. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, and and for me, I, I can't get past being on. We played on a high school field at this game, and I can't get past the uh, the feeling of lifting my nine year old son up after we won the the, the championship game. 
And the, tr the truth is, is um, and you guys gave us enough evidence, they're going to remember that forever. They're going to remember that forever. Because time uh, and relationship and a common goal creates an outcome that people will remember. Now, what I find is that uh, churches have done a, a really tough job of infiltrating the sports world. And, and I would suggest it's because instead of um, getting into sports, we try to create our own sports, right? Have you guys heard of, you guys have heard of Upward before? Nothing wrong with Upward, right? Except everybody wins. And if you're a super competitive guy like me, that's not real. I, I, listen, I love and appreciate Upward. And if you're running Upward, there's, there's no shame in that game, right? But the problem is in my middle to upper class suburban environment where I lead a church, the context that I'm in, right? Or in a lot of urban contexts, nobody's okay with not winning. Nobody's okay with not winning. And, and so the challenge is, is instead of creating our own stream of sport, how do we maintain excellence in sport and still share the gospel, right? And, and that's where disciple making comes in. Because if we can get to a place where instead of creating new, look, your, your city doesn't need another sports league. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I don't even know where you live. I guarantee it, it doesn't. What it needs is for you to be in the sports league and, and to train up disciple makers in the context of sport. And that, so that's what we're going to try to cover. That's what we're really going to try to cover today. There's a great Howard Cosell quote. You guys remember Howard Cosell? He says, the importance that our society attaches to sport is incredible. After all, is football a game or a religion? The people of this country have allowed sports to completely get out of hand. To completely get out of hand. No offense to Mr. Cosell, but, but I think, I think um, sport is not inherently good or bad. What I would suggest is that how, uh, how we, Christian leaders, handle sport is uh, the problem. And, and we have the ability, and this is the beautiful part of where we are, we have the ability to change that. So let me ask you this question. How, how does sports become an idol in our community? How does sport become an idol in our community? Identity? Right, that's a big part of sport, isn't it? That's a big part of sport. What else? The amount of time it takes. Yeah, absolutely it does. The amount of budget it takes, just the amount of money that I've seen in, in our area, region of Texas, like, sucking out a lot of Oh, my gosh. And selects, you can't even, in, in our community, you can't even survive. Like, you're not even considered an athlete unless you're playing on a select team. I don't even know what to do with it. Well, and when they're involved in that, it's usually on the weekends, taking time away from just rest from church, from family time? Yeah. My middle son, eighth, or my oldest son, he's, uh, he's 13. He just made the eighth grade basketball team. It was a big deal because he didn't make the seventh grade year. And so he set a goal to, to make it glorious. So excited for him, put in a lot of work. And, and then we found out practices are six days a week. Six days a week. Right? So he made the team on Tuesday. Practice started on Wednesday. On Thursday, he had a team meeting where they had to fundraise. Every player has to raise 500 bucks. 
and we go to a city school. <laughs> but this is for the extra stuff. The coach put in the letter, we need more, uh, we need better recording stuff so that we could watch the games back. I was like, okay. <laughs> Good. What else makes it an idol? What else makes an idol? Yeah, it becomes a priority. And, and the reality is for most of our kids, um, it becomes a priority for the entire family. So during football season, I've got an older kid who plays middle school football. I got a middle, uh, my middle son plays uh, third grade football and my daughter is a cheerleader and she does tumbling. Um, and she cheers for the first grade and second grade team because she's a second grader. So, uh, so if you ask us to do something during football season, our response is we're available in November. Right, so it becomes an idol in that way. Now, here, here's the thing, right? Why does the church have so much problem with sport? Yeah, takes people away. What does it take them away from, though? Yeah, corporate worship is probably the biggest thing. Biblical community. Yeah, certainly. Divides families too. Like in your case, I've got four kids too, and when they're all doing certain things, the husband's here, the wife's here, and your ship's passing in the night. And I think it totally affects families unless you have your uh, balance and five priorities. Yeah, I think those are all spot on. And in what I want to suggest to you today is that we're not going to beat that. I mean, we might as well. I don't think you're ever going to beat it. Like the the system is so big; it's a a billion dollar industry. And there's no way that um, Christianity is going to come up and begin to start waving a flag saying, we need to reset America and we need to get back to, to you know, church values, biblical values. Now, what, what happens is, is that if, um, if we can get focused on what it means to make disciples and being kingdom minded, then the culture uh, doesn't even matter. Right? If, if we can focus on what it means to make disciples in the context of where we are, um, then, then that is the way that we're going to change the culture. And I, I thought we'd take a little bit of look at, at Scripture. So if, if you want, we're going to take a look at uh, idols in Scripture, which the easiest one to go to is the golden calf. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 32. Uh, I'm going to put verse 1 on here. We'll take a look at it together. It says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So that all the people took off their earrings and he brought them to Aaron. He took them what they had handed him and made him into an idol cast in the shape of the calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Okay, let's, let's do some Bible study here. Um, what are some observations that we see about this scripture? All right, what are some observations that we see about this scripture? Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. The leader wasn't there. The leader wasn't there, right. Panic. Panic. 
Impatience. Right. Yeah, short-term memory, that's a huge part of it. Doubt. Doubt. Mm, the need to please people. I find it hard to believe that a pastor would ever give in to this congregation's demands. So, is the golden calf a horrible thing? Uh, this golden calf. And inherently, they're probably the same answer for both. Yeah. Here's, here's what's interesting to me about this scripture. Um, nowhere on here does it say that the, the Israelites turned their back on God. Right? This isn't like the Israelites saying, God, you suck, and then they create a golden calf. This is when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, what does this tell us about how idols are built? It tells us that our community doesn't build idols in spite of God. Our community builds idols when they don't see God, right? And, and that's really what happens here is that this community of Israelites, they don't see God. They don't see Moses. They don't see their leader. So what do they do? They go to the second command and they basically berate him. That's my interpretation. It's not there in scripture, obviously. They beg him. They beg him to build something. And church, I, I think this is what happens with sports. Like they, they don't, they're, they're not out there, like that, that family of four, you know, average American family is not out there going, man, I'm going to turn my back on God by putting my kid in sports. No, they're, they're saying, I want, I want what's best for my child. I really want my child to be afforded all the opportunities, especially if you're like me and you didn't have opportunities in sports, right? For two reasons. One, my parents would never have paid as much money as I pay in sports, right? And two, I'm not that athletic. Hard to believe, I know. Right? I didn't hit my growth spurt till junior, senior year, and then it stopped. It didn't really spurt all the way. It's fine. So what happens is I, I've... Two boys who are super athletic. I have a girl who's incredible. She can do these back kickover things. It's so much fun. We have cartwheel contests all the time. All of that is good, right? So my job as the primary disciple maker in the house is to what? Is to make sure that they continue to see God. And, and here's, the, here's the struggle, right? Once the idol is built... Right? Once the idol is built, there's only one way to destroy the idol. Any guesses? From the inside out. Because what happens if we don't destroy the idol from the inside out? Well, then this is what it looks like. Right? You're the church and you've got your Bible. And all of a sudden, what you're doing is you're waving your Bible at the sport saying, you got to come back to church. Who wants to go to that? Right? When we don't accept where people are in their walk, we look like religious zealots who don't welcome people back into the community. The idol's built. They're already worshiping there. They're invested. They're invested. Here's a great example. The average baseball team in um, middle school in our area runs anywhere from 700 
to $1,300 for uh, that for one season, even though it actually starts with fall ball. <laughs> it's really almost a whole year. You go fall ball, winter training, summer, where we actually play. Games that matter. I, I don't understand how it works. But, but they're invested. Right? So once the family that scrapes up all of their extra money, right, puts money down on that team, you're not going to get them back to church and say that that team's not important. They're, they're invested. Now, what you can get them to agree to are the same things we all would agree to. Man, it takes up a lot of time. It sure does. Man, there's a lot of effort and energy that goes into it. Yep, sure does. Is it important? Absolutely. And, and this, for me, is, is the struggle, right? Is that there's a big difference between um, like an upward sports program or, or church run sports program and being a part of the program that already exists. So the best way to blow up an idol is from the inside out. It's from the inside out. Um, we're going to go over kind of three strategies for this and we're going we're gonna to talk about it together um, and hopefully hear your thoughts. The first strategy is, is a long-term approach. Right? So um, how long have you guys been in your community? Raise your hand if you've been in your community for more than three years. Three years. Good, 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 good. Do you guys know the sports leagues? What are the sports leagues in your community? Uh, baseball, soccer. Baseball, soccer. Football. football. Basketball's huge. Lacrosse is blowing up in our community. I don't know anything about lacrosse. Hockey. hockey. Yeah, that's, man, in hockey, you're all in on hockey too, Right? So if, if you want to blow up an idol from the inside out, the first thing that you have to understand is that you have to be in the community and you have to be for the community. What's the difference between being in and for? What do you guys think? What's the difference between being in the community and for the community? I don't have to live in the community to be for the community. Right. Right. And specifically, now this has been my experience, and correct me if you guys disagree, um, but being in the community is specifically in the sport community. So not I, I'm a coach for the football organization, but I'm also on the board for the football organization. And um, my son plays basketball, but I'm not really in that community because in that community, I'm just a parent. Which, you know, parents have some power, but they don't have the power to shape the community. When we say be in the community, Pick a sport that you love or that your child loves and be in it. Be all in. Be the team mom. Be the PTO president. Be the on the board. Da-da-da, da-da-da. And then, and then once you're in the community, then you'll know how to be for the community. All right, what are some unique needs that sports have? What do you think? Some unique needs. Food. Food. Kids always need to eat. Always need to eat all the time. New equipment. New equipment. Transportation. Transportation. Right? Now think about this. How can your church, how can your people, whether that be your small group, your church, how can you guys help accomplish that sports goal? Now, here's one of the things that I've learned. Um, 
organizations that are primarily based on outside fields have nowhere to meet. But you know what? I got a church that's empty during the week 90% of the time. You can have it all. You can have it all. So what happens? You start with a long-term approach. Once they begin to trust you, right? And they know that you're there for the right reasons, which is what's the right reason in their eye? To advance the sport, right? To advance the sport, not to advance the gospel. That's your reason. That's not theirs. Once you know why you're there and you're in it with long-term approach and they trust you, you begin to see it and then you can be for it. All right, so I'm in the football community. So what happens now? People call me, text me all the time. Hey, Tony, can I get to the church? Yeah, you can bring 20 unchurched people to the church for a meeting anytime you need to. You can walk through our children's ministry and our parent resource center. You can see what it means to take yellow, which is the light of Christ, and red, which is the heartbeat of the family, and create an orange philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. You can use any of those rooms. So guess what? When a team needs to do film, they call me. Not the first year they didn't, though. It, it took about three years before they realized that I was serious that they could use the church because there's a lack of trust. Why? Because the church does a really good job of telling people what we're against and not always a great job of what we're for. Jeff Henderson, a pastor of Gwinnett Church in Atlanta, he talks about what you're for. How are you known what you're for? So that's the first idea. Be in the community and be for the community over a long period of time because it, it takes time, right? Now, the second part is, is do the work of relationship building. You'll never change an organization if you don't change the people. What does that look like, building relationships inside sports organizations? Yeah. How, how many, uh, did you coach football? Basketball. How many basketball coaches are there? How many? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Thousands. Right. How many in your community specifically uh, on the team that you coached? How many assistant coaches did you have? Five. So five guys. Uh, three girls. It's girls. Oh, perfect. So two, head coach and my, my Forgive my assumption. Guys and then three assistant coaches. How many of them went to church? So. <laughs> Dang it. So okay. Most of them. Most of them. Right. Yeah. So uh, on my team, we had five coaches, and um, I was the only one that went to church. I was the only one that went to church. So, what does that mean to build relationships? What well, means that um, we're going to get together on top of practices to watch film together? Now, it's third grade football. We shouldn't take it that serious, right? That's what you're thinking. That's what you're thinking. You shouldn't take it that serious. But guess what? They're going to take it that serious with or without me. They're going to take it that serious with or without me. So if I'm with them, then, then I'm not there for, for football. I'm there for Jesus. And guess what? Sports provides a, a diversity that I can't seem to get in my church. I'll just be honest with you. right? Our, our community is... 95% white. And I, I'm having a really hard time to get our church to look like the kingdom of God. We lack diversity. And so the only way that I know how to get diversity right now is through sports. Because there's athletes of every make and model, and we're all on the same team together. And the head coach, who I'm an assistant coach for, his name is Marcus Jackson, he's become one of my best friends. 
and I never ask him to go to church. Now, he does tell me he watches online sometimes. And I'm like, great. How'd it sound today? Man, you sound fine. Okay, great. And that's, and that's it. We stopped talking. What do you think about that beer? Okay, great. We're just going back to sports, which is fine. Because I'm in this for the long run. Right? I'm in this for the long run. Now, how many people here are, are on a church staff? Okay. Everybody else, laity then. So th this message is for both of you, and it's really important. We have to give our pastors permission to let go of programs for the sake of relationships. So do you remember how many hours I said that we spent? 104 hours in three months. I'm the lead pastor of a growing church. Guess how many Bible studies I did in those three months? Zero. Zero. How do we get there? Well, we get there by casting the vision that we're going to be a church that's for the community. So in January, when the board and I got together to talk about what our strategic objectives are for the year, I said, hey, I'm going to coach some sports. And it means that I won't be able to do anything else. And you got to get them to buy off on it. So if you're a pastor here and you haven't cast the vision that relationship building is more important than programs, um, you'll never be successful at it. Three nights a week for practice once school started, plus games on Saturday. There were two weeks in October, I had weddings right after football, and I came to the football games dressed in a suit. It was hysterical. But the team's a priority. The team's a priority. So you, you've got to cast the vision that you're a church that's there for the community. And give yourself permission. And honestly, since we really started leaning into what disciple-making looks like at the local church level, we've done less programming than we've ever done before, and we've seen our greatest growth. We've seen our greatest growth. Because Restoration Church, which is the church I pastor, they're for the schools. So we're in the schools all the time. Three of our staff volunteers, academic tutors on Monday, right in the middle of their work day, their work day. We work for Jesus. Right? If you're not going to take the time to build a relationship, um, you'll never reap the benefits of, of being a coach. Right? If you have to run off to go do your Wednesday night Bible study, you're probably going to miss out on the football talk after the practice. You're going to miss out on the pizza. You're going to miss out on the stuff that really bonds people together. And so, so that's that intentional relationships. And you, and you got to give yourself space for it is really what it all comes down to. You'll never change an organization if you don't change the people, right? And, and so um, I mentioned to you guys that I was on the board of that football organization. Guess where they now meet? At the church. Why? Because I gave the president a key. He's like, oh, you're going to give me a key to the church? Yeah. Take what everybody else in the city's got one. You might as well have one too, right? Take whatever you need. He was like, are you kidding? Nope. But then you start doing that over and over again, and all of a sudden, people know that you're there for them. This year, for the first time, the head varsity football coach texted me and said, hey, will you come do the invocation at our end-of-year banquet? Sure, coach. That's great. Whoo, I like big breath, right? But it, it took 
multiple years, multiple years of giving space for sports, which by the way, my kids are going to do anyway. And I love, I love the church, but I'm not willing to sacrifice the church to not be there for my kids either. So you got to find that balance and that tension, right? The third thing is, and this is really important, stay anchored in disciple-making relationships of your own. I'd like to tell you a story, if that's okay. We, uh, we started a, a Christian uh, select baseball team. This, the church started it. We had a coach who was really good. I was going to be the assistant coach. Um, baseball is my true love. Uh, I enjoy football, but baseball is my true love. And, uh, and so I was super excited. We had this team, 11 new baseball players, just to the point where they're actually getting good. We had a great coach who was super organized and can do all the things. So, uh, so we decided that we were going to be overtly Christian. Overtly Christian, we're going to charge $750 to come be on our Christian select baseball team. We had 28 kids try out. We had to cut people and tell them they couldn't be on our Christian baseball team. It felt a little oxymoronish. But we did. We had a great season. We had a great season. And one of my lowlights of the entire season is when I got sucked into the vortex. We're at a tournament uh, at a local place called Action Sports. And our team was on a massive comeback. Uh, but in these tournaments, if you've ever played in them before, one of the realities is, is that uh, you're on a time limit for the game. You get an hour and 45 minutes to get the game done. And it was an hour and 40 minutes and all we had to do was get one more out, and then we get to bat no matter how much time is left, right? We had five minutes left on the clock. Our guys are down, they're ready to go, batter's up to the plate, and the referee runs out into the middle of the field. The umpire runs out in the middle of the field and goes, time, that's the time limit. Oh, friends, I lost my mind. <laughs> I lost my mind. Next thing you know, this crazy guy is running out to the pitcher's mound, and I'm like, we have five minutes left. You are, why are you trying to rob us? We're gonna come back. I mean, like, all the momentum was in our, it was just, you could feel it, all the momentum. And so I start unloading on this umpire, right? I start unloading on this umpire, and I'm letting him have it, I'm letting him have it. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, why are you yelling? And I didn't realize I was yelling. Both teams, now 11-year-old boys, my son, and a whole bunch of people that know me as a pastor are now sitting there watching me lose my mind on this umpire. Sucked into the vortex. Sucked into the vortex. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. Now, the good news is, is I, have, I have enough people in my life who love me enough to tell me I looked like an idiot that I was able to apologize to the boys and to the other coach and try to repent, right? And it was a great sermon illustration. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. But, but if you don't have somebody who can anchor you in Jesus, you'll get sucked into sport, especially if you like it already. And if you're here, I'm just going to assume that you do. Right? Your sport's open, Right? <laughs> And so then all of a sudden you get sucked in. So you've got to have somebody who can hold you accountable. Because I, I, could, I, could, I could really give up everything for sports if I'm not careful. 
I'm, I have an addictive personality anyway. So when given the opportunity, I like sports. I like competitiveness. I like being loud and aggressive. It's my favorite things. Which is why I need Jesus. That's why I need disciple making. And so, so that's kind of the, the long-term approach, right? It, it starts with this idea of being in the community and for the community. Then you build relationships and then you stay anchored in disciple making relationships of your own. So uh, the last thing I, I'd like to leave you with is uh, a SMART goal. Okay, we're going to spend a little bit of time on it. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask questions before we start on the SMART goal. You guys all know what a SMART goal means? Anybody not know what it means? S specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-sensitive, right? I'll, I can, I'll help you again. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-sensitive. Sometimes I like to change the A for attitude, like it should challenge your attitude a little bit um, when I'm working with people. And so what, what I'd like to do is for you uh, to take some time and set up a SMART goal for how you can engage sports in your community. So you're not here just for information. Hopefully you're here for transformation, right? And so what's, what's the first SMART goal? And maybe it's to talk to your board if you're a pastor about what that looks like. Maybe it's to find out what next season is or to get background checks so you can coach. But let's get really specific about one step that you can take. And then remember, all of this is hinged on you being in disciple-making relationships, right? So it starts, you, you, I've kind of started with the assumption that you're already in a disciple-making relationship so that when the opportunity comes, when you run into that coach, like I believe and pray that God is going to do with me and Marcus, that Marcus and I will be able to get into that disciple-making relationship. I'm ready. I'm ready. I believe God is priming this pump with Marcus. And I believe he's priming it with, you know, Jared. And then, the, and then the kids, what actually happens with the kids, that's just an added bonus, right? Four kids who've called me coach, I've also baptized. I mean, I'll, four kids in four years, I'll take that any day of the week. That's what it's about. We're impacting families here. So uh, we're going to jump into SMART goals, but before we do that, any questions about anything specific? practical, uh, how things are working or not working? Yeah. So, okay, dad, two boys, eight, 12, both athletes. Right? You're right. Um, we're in the athletic community. Sure. Toledo, state champions, multiple old deal, right? So it's ingrained in the culture. Um, so I'm a pastor in the same community, right? So not only do I have my family to steward well and to lead through navigating sports and how we're going to do it and what we're going to do, but I'm also in living missionally within the sports community. Like, I love that part of it. That's a big deal for us. Yeah. Um, and, and the balance and the anchoring is really helpful, but also trying to set the example for the other families in our church who are also in those same trenches, feeling that stretch and pull, inevitably pull play tournament, pull, tournaments pull play Saturday, bracket play Sunday, and so in, in baseball, right? So we're trying to navigate that in the spring. So earlier you talked about balance and tension. So I know how that, I know how we're living that out as a family, trying to be that example to other families. But I'd like to hear, as a pastor and a coach, how does that work for you guys? Like, where do you draw the? So we have to, we we feel like we have to draw some boundaries. So 
So, for example, on Sundays, we've got three services. My goal is for my wife and my boys, hey, you know, our goal is you make it to a service. Typically, we can do that with tournament play. You can go to an early service, go to a late service. We say, hey, once one weekend out of the year, we're just going to, as a family, it's going to be part of our vacation time. We're going to go, we're going to enjoy, travel with the team, be away, and it's okay. Sure. But trying to also, like, maintain church as a priority for the kids, sure. gathering in worship, biblical community, those are priorities. So anyway, that's how we work through that as a family. I would be interested to hear how you work through those tensions and what the balance looks like. So most of the time, um, ooh, this is going to open up a can, right? But uh, I don't really care about Sunday morning attendance. I, I, so I feel like, uh, I feel like I do have to be there, right? I do have to be there. And I miss it. I miss a lot of stuff, right? And when people ask me why I can't go, I generally say, I don't say church. I say I have to work. Because I, I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to guilt shame somebody into um, why they're not at church. Now, with my kids and, and our personal, uh, we do personal devotions with our kids. And so, you know, we're actively discipling our kids, even on Sunday morning during tournament play or whatever the case is. We also will go back and we'll watch online. We'll watch any church online, right? So there's, the thing for me is, is that there's so many online options now that, uh, they can get a message somewhere. Um, but, you know, we'll spend time in the Word. We'll spend time in prayer. For, for the rest of the families, um, when I'm there or when the opportunity arises, if somebody that I'm discipling, maybe who's in there, I'll try to get them to do a team Bible study and see who we can get in there. Like, and, and it's just as simple as uh, if you guys ever use GroupMe or anything like that, we'll just throw it in there and be like, hey, we're going to gather for prayer and we're going to read some Scripture this morning if anyone's interested and we'll just throw it out there, and people will come. People will come because they know you already, and they trust you, right? And so that's, that's part of it. Other than that, I... Um, you take off some during yeah. the Yeah, I do. I, yeah, when it's... It, it's picking those spots, right? Because like you, I have two kids, and so, man, if you take off for one kid and you don't take off for the other kid that are playing summer baseball... And my, my daughter... That'll be a whole different issue when she starts getting into competitive cheer if she goes down that route, you know? So we try to pick the spots that we're at. And, and I got very fortunate that I've got some good guys around me and ladies who can preach so that I don't have to be there. And my board is super supportive. But it's, it's all about casting that vision. Um, so to piggyback on his question, like, you know, he mentioned being an example to the rest of the church. I mean, those families see us gone, and they think, well, we can be gone too, but they may not be doing what you're doing with, the, with their family. Well, do you just let that go? I do. I do. As a matter of fact, I let it go and tell them it's not that important. What I say is the most important thing is getting into disciple-making relationships. But honestly, like, the average person now comes to church 1.6 times a month. New, new Christian families, 1.6 times a month. And so... Uh, the moment I feel like we start to berate people for worship attendance, I, I, if I could just get them reading the word, I'd be happy. Like the word's so much more valuable than whatever we're going to do in corporate worship on Sunday morning. Uh, obviously, you miss out on some stuff there, but uh, but teaching people how to feed themselves is is become my number one push in terms of church discipline because it's just so it's it's just so hard to get people. To come, and this is the first year um, in the five years I've been at the church that, in our strategic objectives, we didn't put anything about attendance or baptisms, and it's because of the disciple-making culture. 
We're, we're trying to measure leaders now and disciple makers and small groups. And, you know, if we could do that, then we're okay. Our church is growing at a crazy rate right now, and we don't actually even know how many people call it our church home because we never see the same people every week. So I'm working, working really hard with our board and with, within my own demons not to chase numbers because I, I, I'm prone to it. Again, I'm competitive. I like to win. Good questions, though. And, and it's, it's, not e it's certainly not easy. It's not easy. Other questions? Okay, take, uh, take about five minutes, smart goals, and then I'm going to ask a couple of you to share if you're so inclined. We could talk through them a little bit. Yeah, specific, measurable, attainable, or challenges your attitude, uh, realistic, and time-sensitive. Specific, measurable, uh, attainable, or cha challenges your attitude, realistic, and time-sensitive. Okay, who's got, uh, who's got one that they want to share or maybe they want to work through? I can help with either. Share or work through. Yeah? My youngest son is a senior in high school. Okay. So my other kids are in college or beyond. They all play baseball. Congratulations. So I'm helping. I've helped on the establish a dugout club for the coach of this high school because it's a new charter school that works in the dugout. But anyway. Once he is, after this year, and he's gone off to college, um, I, I want to get involved in the community now. I want to get involved in our local, I'm from Mount Pleasant, which is in Charleston, and baseball, football, all that thing. But I want to get involved either in the administration or the coach and, and just help. We open up our church like you do to the high school, to any team that needs a place to meet because that's a priority. I mean, that's a commodity. But I want to I want to work through just being available without an agenda. Sure. Like you said, just show love and grace in the community. Um, and I've talked to my wife about it because we'll be empty nesters next year. So, I, do you know who's in charge of the the program that you want to get engaged with? Yeah. What's his, his or her name? It's a guy named uh, Tim uh, Tim Marlowe. All right. So you open for a little feedback on your goal, mm -hmm. right? So a smart goal like this looks even better if you write down, "I'm going to call Tim Marlowe." to offer my assistance by this date. So I'm going to call Tim Marlowe by the end of next week to offer my assistance and set up a coffee, right? And so that's a, like, that's a smart goal because now we know, right? And I would even write, because I will talk myself out of goals sometimes, like things that may feel a little uncomfortable. Um, I would even write his phone number underneath there. And then, if you're feeling really bold, ask my friend Craig here to text you and hold you accountable. Oh! Right? Yeah. Yeah, most disciple makers do. Uh, good. Other smart goals. Yeah. I'm a freshman volleyball coach. All right. God bless you. That's great. You know, ask a question that they can answer or whatever. Sure. So. Grades, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, super. That's great. I love that. Sir? I'm not involved in any program per se, but I'm getting ready to retire. Congratulations. And uh, we have an open campus. We've got 
frisbee golf. We've got basketball courts, and uh, it's just open to the community. And uh, I see some guys out there playing basketball a lot. So my goal is to get intentional with those guys. Yeah, that's great. Again, you're not starting anything new. You're engaging them where you're at. You're inserting yourself in the process. Where, where do you live at? Spring, Texas. Okay, so you can play basketball all year round. Yeah. I was like, dude, we're uh, outside basketball shut down here in Ohio. Uh, good. A quick thought. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Big Brothers and Big Sisters is in your community, but that is a great organization to get involved in. I know it's not necessarily sports related, but, um, but hanging with a kid that needs usually a father figure, especially mm -hmm. the guys are needed, and then following them, we had a one of my son's friends who's now a senior, his big brother invested him. His family life was awful. He is now living with his big brother, and he's basically, not legally, but pretty much adopted, and he's built into him his life. So, oh, so that, that's actually something like that. That's actually my closing point, is that sports is really can be replaced with anything. Yeah. Like if you're good at music, or if you're good at theater, if you're good at... X, Y, or Z, like it, what, what I want to challenge us as disciple makers and kingdom makers is to stop thinking that we have to create our own kingdom rather than bring the kingdom of God to where people are. And that, that for me, will, will change the church. Because when, when we stop trying to bring people to the church for the sake of bringing them to church and start bringing Jesus to the people, it, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. So uh, here's my contact information. I, I do a podcast. Um, if you're interested, I did an entire series on kids, anxiety, and sports. Um, and I brought in uh, guests, speakers, uh, psychologists, um, educators, uh, the varsity football coach. And uh, we had a great conversation around kids, anxiety, and sports. If you're so inclined, I, I'd love your feedback. Um, my information website uh, social media stuff. We have a gift for you today because we believe in the art of, of these kind of conversations. On your desk, uh, Justin handed out these cards. If you fill out one of these cards, you get a, a free book, which is a, a primer to the art of spiritual uh, conversation. These are um, how, how to begin conversations with the unchurched, the dechurched, or the not sure what church is group. So um, if you're inclined for that, fill out one of those cards, uh, give it to my man over here, and he'll make sure that you get one. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. I invite you to go in peace, to engage Christ, to restore hope, and to love all. We'll see you guys real soon. That's it for today's episode. Check out the sampler for Bobby Harrington's book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for discipleship that fits. Thanks for listening. Until next time.